You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Shadow Sports on Converge Media. I am your host, as always, Charles Hamaker, here with uh, quite an interesting week over the holiday weekend, Thanksgiving. I want to be conscious of those who might not have celebrated for whatever reason. If you did, uh, happy Thanksgiving, Black Friday shopping, whatever that may be. I know it's Cyber Monday. Uh, So uh, up and down sort of week over the uh, past few days for our teams that are currently playing in the Seahawks and Kraken, Uh, the Seahawks suffering a frustrating just you know uh, almost teeth grinding loss to the las vegas raiders here at home in overtime uh, the kraken on a five game heater currently beating up division opponents including las vegas a team they haven't beaten in their two-year existence to this point so uh very kinds of two ends to the two ends to it uh for our teams here currently so taking that all in consideration and looking at what we've got ahead uh, we'll head right into our seahawks news here with this loss to the raiders a uh, tough one, as I mentioned, a tough one in overtime. The Seahawks put up 34 points, as you can see on your screen. Two interceptions, couldn't get the job done. November 27th versus the Las Vegas Raiders, a 40-34 to 34 loss in overtime. Just a frustrating one. We look over here quickly to our players of the game on offense. I went with DK Metcalf, 11 receptions, 90 yards on 15 targets. Uh, throughout this game, DK was able to get the ball. I mean, the 15 targets. I've been clamoring for the guy to get the ball. And he did, you know, it was interesting to see the Seahawks offense kind of go into some, you know, five out offense, some quick pass to, to stick with that point, though, in the pass part, Seattle looks more pass heavy in this game, which isn't always the greatest thing. I know Geno Smith's having a really solid year. You've got the offensive weapons that you do in the pass catching area. But Kenneth Walker, the third and this run game is what, you know, this run game is what has powered Pete Carroll offenses for about what 13 years now with the Seahawks team so tough one there uh but you know both Bell and I went with our offensive player of the game uh in the pass catching region as she went with Tyler Lockett three receptions 64 yards and a touchdown she really liked the 22.7 uh average on the receptions there for Tyler Lockett both of those good choices here just unfortunate that even though the offense put up 34 points in the game that the team could not come out with the win I would consider it a relative uh, successful outing for the offense, just considering that, you know, with the two interceptions that I mentioned and a bunch of trips, uh, a bunch of possessions, pardon me, that the offense could have actually scored more, funny enough, uh, whether it be turnovers uh, that were caused, a lost fumble, and uh, getting field goals in the red zone. I mean, the Seahawks have one of the worst red zone offenses in the league. That's got to change if you're going to play winning football period. So, you know, that's, that's something that I want to see changed as this season goes on, you know, and that's, that's got to be an urgent factor considering that you've got divisional opponents like San Francisco now that have overtaken you for the number one spot in the NFC West. So we'll look over here to defense defense normally wins you championships and Quandre Diggs was our player of the game. Unanimous pick six total tackles, two solo tackles, two pass deflections, and two picks. Both of those interceptions coming in the first quarter. Uh, The first play from scrimmage, Derek Carr overthrew a receiver, 
Quandre Diggs uh, was Johnny on the spot. And then later on in that first quarter, uh, Diggs was able to get an interception off of a uh, tipped ball by tight end Fabian Morrow, Foster Morrow, pardon me, different Morrow. Um, Diggs had a pretty solid game. He was caught uh, for a touchdown on a wheel route off of uh, Raiders running back Amir Abdullah. Uh, But the bottom line and the main story of this game is the Raiders running game and running back Josh Jacobs. Jacobs in a contract year, the Raiders declined his fifth year option ahead of the start of this 2022 season. And he said he's going to use that as motivation. And if that wasn't evident, on Sunday. I don't know what was 303 total yards, 284 yards on the ground an 86 yard run to cap the game off and win it in overtime for the Raiders, giving them back to back, uh, walk off wins. That's, you know, that's just, you got to give credit where credit is due, but at the same time, the Seahawks defense has to be able to stop the run that comes first and foremost. We've been talking about this bell and I for weeks now, you know, let alone the success that this defense has seen this turnaround from the uh, early weeks of the year, but also the fact that, you know, breaking tackles has been something that the opposing offenses have been able to do way too easily, way too easily, whether it's arm tackles, going for the big hit, uh, not wrapping up all that. The Seahawks actually used to be leaders in tackles, uh, putting out a, a tackle, a video, how to tackle, pardon me, during their uh, sort of glory years of such. So, you know, that that's basis number one. That should be, you know, go back to basics. That should be step one. Um, I know Pete Carroll talked about in his weekly show today, wanting to stack the box more, get the DBs involved uh, in those tackles. But that's that's been an issue, you know. And if you look at the past two games for Seattle in terms of who they're allowing to run the ball, uh, the past game, uh, the week before this past bye week, was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, an offense that has been historically bad at running the ball. And then you look at this Raiders team where Josh Jacobs has been one of the best teams, uh, best backs in the league. So very different situations uh, for the opposing team, opposing offenses, but both teams saw major success running the ball against Seattle. And that's got to change. If you look at teams like San Francisco in your division, who have got Christian McCaffrey and can run the ball in multiple different facets, uh, a bunch of teams that you're going to look at down the stretch here are going to be able to run the ball and you got to be able to stop that. That's factor number one. So that was kind of the big takeaway from this game was being able to stop the run. Seattle just got gashed play after play, possession after possession, and it results in a loss. You know, you sit at six and five now, and it's uh, things are going to have to change urgently if you want to be able to deal with the teams in your division like San Francisco that have now overtaken you for the number one spot in the NFC West. So a uh, tough one, frustrating loss that, you know, it's it's always interesting to me after these losses, Pete Carroll says stuff like uh, being out coach is unacceptable. At the end of the day, that is on you. That is on you as the head coach, as the coaching staff to be prepared to get your players in the best position to succeed against your opponents. It's not anybody else. It's not on the players necessarily. You know, they could do a little bit more, I guess you could say, but coaching that's something that, you know, the staff is always going to be able to control. You have to come prepared. So that's uh, seeing quotes like that from Carol, Carol is frustrating, but you know, I, I have faith that they're going to be able to turn things around, but it's got to be quick. It's got to be, there's got to be some urgency to it. So we'll look over here towards our sort of injury news and roster moves throughout the week. Um, 
the inactive list against the Raiders, running back Tony Jones Jr., wide receiver Penny Hart, who you can see pictured, offensive guard Jake Curran. Interesting to see Curran listed as a guard after playing tackle last season. Defensive tackle Miles Adams, safety Tease Tabor, and cornerback Artie Burns. Uh, we look at some of our roster moves here for the Seahawks. Uh, wide receiver D. Eskridge was placed on injured reserve with a broken hand on November 26th. And as a corresponding move, uh, wide receiver Laquan Treadwell recently picked up and put on the practice squad, uh, was called up in an elevation as a corresponding move. So just to briefly touch on that, I've talked about Eskridge and his struggles, not only you know these past few weeks, uh, wanting to see him get the ball, get more involved, but I believe even last year when we were doing the show uh, for our Seahawks, trying to get this guy involved, it's been tough. You know, I know that Marquise Goodwin has been a guy that's come in and contributed as a veteran uh, in the third wide receiver spot. But you want to see more from a guy that was drafted out of college as sort of a gimmick guy, a speed guy, a playmaker, bottom line, a playmaker, and he isn't making plays. That's an issue. That's an issue, whether that's how the coaching staff is coaching him up, whether that's the strength and conditioning team that's trying to get him healthy and keep him healthy, or maybe that's just on Eskridge. Maybe it's a multitude of those factors, but at the end of the day, to this very point, you could have said this about Rashad Penny until his end of the year last season, Eskridge has underperformed. And that's been frustrating. And this will come up when it comes to contract time. Maybe even sooner if the Seahawks want to make that roster spot available for somebody else. Um, Treadwell didn't make any noise in his game against the Raiders, but maybe he makes some noise uh, in the weeks to follow. So keep an update on that. In terms of injuries that were sustained against the Raiders, safety Ryan Neal sustained an elbow injury late into the game. The severity of that is still being determined. That's going to be a big loss if it's anything serious. Uh, Neal, in the past few years, when Jamal Adams has gone down with injury or anytime he's been called upon, has stepped in and filled in those shoes damn near perfectly. Uh, and something to note, when Neal came out and on that run that Jacobs had, the 86-yarder, the safety that came in, uh, I think it was Josh Jones, actually, um, the safety that came in to replace Neal missed his angle, took a wrong, took a wrong uh, direction towards the running back. All of a sudden, Josh Jacobs is gone, heading to the end zone, celebrating. The Raiders fans in attendance are happy, and the game is over. So would Neal have made that tackle? Probably. Um, just hoping for good things there. I initially thought it was a shoulder injury that Neal had sustained, but you know, severity still being determined. So there's some hope there that it doesn't hold him out too long, but that's, that's an issue there considering you're already down to safety in Jamal Adams. So we'll head over to team related notes here over the past week on the 22nd tight end. Will Disley was named the Seahawks nominee for the Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award. The former Husky and current Seahawk was uh, named in the nominee for the award given to an NFL player who best demonstrates the qualities of on-field sportsmanship, including fair play, respect for the game and his opponents, as well as integrity and competition. It's really cool to see Disley uh, earlier in the year get special teams player of the week for the NFC, uh, be a contributing factor in this trio of tight ends for the Seahawks offense. Just as a former Husky, uh, obviously, but then seeing the contributions he made in his first year before an injury and just to see him stick with the team, it's been great. It's been great to have Will Disley around uh, for this Seahawks team. So we'll wrap up here with some NFL league-related news. On the 25th, the NFL had great Thanksgiving ratings. The Cowboys-Giants game was the most-watched NFL regular season game ever 
drawing a record 42 million viewers. Uh, that was the second uh, of the three games played on Thanksgiving. On the 27th, someone who had some interest in that Cowboys-Giants game, having uh, teased a move to either the Cowboys or the Giants, Odell Beckham Jr. was kicked off of a plane on the 27th. The free agent, free agent wide receiver was reportedly in and out of consciousness and refused to put on a seatbelt. In a statement from his lawyer, Beckham Jr. Uh, was said to have uh, wanted to comply with the putting on of the seatbelt and his lawyer said that removing him from the plane and deboarding the plane in total was unnecessary. Now it's an interesting look, uh, the in and out of consciousness part, his lawyer said he just wanted to get some sleep on the plane. All things considered, I want to see how this plays out. I'm not going to take a side on it. If the dude just wanted to take a nap on the plane, I don't see what the issue was. Maybe it's because he is an athlete, you know, uh, I'm going to let that play out. It's an interesting saga. People are quick to say, hey, why is this guy doing this? You know, he's a free agent. I'm going to pump the brakes and see the whole situation in its entirety first. So we'll look ahead to next week for our Seahawks and what's at stake here, considering it's a divisional matchup. So the Seahawks sit at a six and five record. They are second in the NFC West now dethroned from their first in the NFC West spot. And they're in the hunt. They're not in a playoff spot at the moment. They're one of the three teams that are currently on looking on the outside in, trying to get back into one of those spots for the postseason. Their next matchup, December 4th at the LA Rams in SoFi Stadium with a 1.05 p.m. Pacific time start. It's a big game. I know that the Rams have kind of struggled um, this year following their Super Bowl win in a sort of Super Bowl hangover, so to say. But they're still a dangerous team. There's still a ton of talent on this roster. You can't take anybody in a division lightly ever. So we will now transition over to some brief Mariners uh, league news. There's nothing that our Mariners did over the past week to draw any real interest. It's just a bunch of rumors at this point in time. The Mariners are reportedly interested in Michael Conforto. That's a rumor for the time being, and we'll, we might look into that a little bit later on. But in league-related notes and probably some cooler news, on the 21st of November, Brown University freshman Olivia Picardo makes history as the first female baseball player to be on an active NCAA Division I roster. That's pretty impressive. That's really cool news to see. I know that over the past year, Bell and I have looked at some history in the minor leagues uh, for female baseball players, but to see this in Division One baseball, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I hope that uh, Picardo is able to make some noise. Probably we'll have to follow along with her story uh, when that season comes around for the uh, Division One season. On the 25th, the Mariners did um, miss out on one of their free agents, whether they were targeting her or not, him or not is unsure. First baseman Carlos Santana signed with the Pittsburgh Pirates on a one-year $6.7 million deal. So the veteran bat, a uh, guy who was able to help this team win a bunch of games in midsummer, a friend of Julio Rodriguez, heads to Pittsburgh and will help them as that team looks to find some sort of uh, groove. It seems like the Pirates are always in some sort of rebuild. So... Uh, it seems like the Mariners might go elsewhere in terms of a backup first baseman, a backup infielder, um, but it won't be Carlos Santana, unfortunately. I know a bunch of fans were hoping that Slamtana would make his bay ba uh, back onto the, the roster there. So we'll now transition over to our Sounders here uh, on the 22nd. Big blow to the Sounders front office as GM and president of soccer operations. Garth Lagerway was named the president and CEO of Atlanta United. Uh, the club announced that Garth Lagerway is its new president and chief 
executive officer. Lego Way has served as the Sounders FC general manager and president of soccer since 2015, helping acquire the 2016 and 19 MLS Cups, as well as the 2022 CONCACAF Champions League title. Lego Way was also recently named the best executive by the World Football Summit. Now, this is really sort of it's an interesting piece of information. I know that some had seen this move coming. Others were blindsided by it. Some are angry. It makes sense for Lagerway simply because of the CEO part of it. Lagerway is able to get more control of that club than he ever would have with the Sounders. I know that that's something he's Lagerway has talked about, you know, getting this club built up to the club world cup. And he's done that now. He's kind of accomplished what he's wanted to with the MLS cups with CCL. Um, and I know that there's no ill will in that. I know there was rumors that he would have left even last season. So to get the sort of power and control that he's going to get with Atlanta, he was never going to get that with Seattle. So it makes total sense for him to leave, unfortunately. Um, it's just where the Sounders turn now. You can't, you know, whenever a move like this happens, I try not to dwell on it, try not to say, oh, he's gone. It's now, what do we do next? What's our next response to a move like this. So a big hole is needed to be filled with general manager and president of soccer. Um, I would not doubt that Seattle looks inward to another local, to, to a local piece to fix that. Craig Weeble, uh, Seattle sporting director and senior vice president of soccer is the obvious choice, whether it be for interim or for the permanent spot, considering the latter of his two roles, uh, it's going to be tough to sort of fill that role. But considering that Wable has spent time under Lagerway, not only here in Seattle, but also back when the two were at Real Salt Lake, he makes total sense. He's a native of Portland. He went to school in Spokane. He's a University of Washington graduate. So when you come to local flavor, so to say, Craig fits that role perfectly. And you talk about experience and sort of knowledge, plus the connection to Lagerway. At least in the interim, that's who I fully expect to take over that position for the Sounders. So it's it's a tough move losing someone in a, a recently voted by World Soccer, uh, the World Football Summit, pardon me, uh, as the best executive. Uh, tough to lose that. Someone who is integral in making the Sounders roster what it is, keeping them competitive year in and year out. But all things come to an end, you know, at the end of the day. So it's tough to lose, but... Seattle now has to look forward and see what their next move will be in replacing him and getting ready for a big season in 2023, trying to get back to the playoffs. He's got a club world cup still hopefully to play against some of the greatest clubs in the world and just trying to not while trying to stay competitive while building for the future. So that's a big task at hand. It should be an attractive job to those who are looking at it. Um, just really like, Whoa, uh, I was a little bit surprised by it, not only considering the move and how Lego way has really liked this area and this club, but also knowing that uh, when the Sounders had their uh, sort of club meeting uh, just a few weeks ago, that there was no offer by Atlanta. Then it all took place over the last weekend.
which is pretty wild. So we look at some league related notes here. This isn't exactly a new thing, but sort of uh, remains fresh as Messi is in the World Cup. On November 27th, it was announced that Leo, Lionel Messi is close to an agreement to join uh, Miami, Inter Miami FC at the end of the 2022-2023 European season. He's also rumored to be uh, joined by Sergio Biscuits um, at Inter Miami, which would you know make that club better uh, and draw some more eyes to MLS. But none of it's official yet. The Messi move has been rumored for perhaps a few years now. But uh, when it happens, it'll be official and we'll go over it then. But for now, technically, that is just a rumor. So. We'll switch gears here to our team that's on a five-game win streak, probably the the crown jewel of the city over the past week as the Kraken continued uh, their 2022-2023 campaign. Starting off here, November 23rd versus the San Jose Sharks, the end of the six-game homestand, the longest homestand that this team will play uh, this season. Ending it off in big fashion, an eight to five win. Yes, you heard me. Eight goals were scored by the team, the most in franchise history. Uh, the 13 combined goals is also the most goals in a game in team history combined. So it's a big deal there. Our player of the game, centerman Matty Beneers, one goal, two assists, three points, a four plus minus, and two shots on goal. So the young forward gets back on the goal sheet and back on the stat sheet in a big way. A four plus minus is a big deal there. November 25th, the team heads on the road for a three game road trip, all against divisional opponents uh, and starts with a team that Seattle's never beaten to that point. They would do so winning four to two in Las Vegas. Uh, our player of the game, defenseman Adam Larson, Larson, two assists, two points, a two plus minus one shot. That shot would eventually turn into one of his assists, four hits, three blocks and two takeaways. So Larson really fitting, filling the stat sheet up. The Kraken uh, withstand two uh, first period goals from the Golden Knights and then are able to shut them out the remaining two periods in a big, big win against Las Vegas. They're kind of putting the league on notice as Las Vegas currently sits at first in the Western Conference. And then Sunday, yesterday, November 27th at the Anaheim Ducks, really back and forth, nerve-wracking affair where the Kraken had to withstand a feisty Anaheim team that had only recently won their first regular regulation game uh, on the season. A 5-4 to four win down in Anaheim. Played the game centerman Matty Beneers. One goal, three assists, three points, a one plus minus, one shot, two hits, and one takeaway. So they're second in the conference. You know, the second in the division right behind Las Vegas. Las Vegas uh, has lost their past two games. So things are looking good. I don't want to look now. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're only a little bit uh, near the quarter of the way through the season mark. There's still plenty of things that can happen to this team and to this season, but these are all good things to look at. You know, Before I really get into it, let's look at our player of the week. It was a unanimous pick between Bell and I, centerman Matty Beneers, the young forward out of Michigan with two goals, five assists, seven points, a five plus minus, five shots, two blocks over the past week. The future of hockey in Seattle is bright, You know, not only with him, but with Shane Wright, who we'll get to here in a minute when we get to team-related news. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be a Kraken fan right now. I know that inaugural season was tough, and there's still, when we look at this team now in its current form, there's still some things that Seattle needs to fix. The penalty kill went one for four last night, I believe. 
allowed three power play goals at the minimum. I know that. And the defense, the defensive units, the D pairs have struggled uh, in the last few games. You look at the, uh, the Las Vegas game. Sure. Great. Uh, one of those goals really should have been avoided. But we look at the San Jose game and then the Anaheim game. A bunch of mistakes defensively for Seattle, stuff that really looked like the first year cracking, mental lapses, puck watching, leaving guys open, uh, getting caught in odd man rushes. All of these things are stuff that can be fixed, luckily, right? It's not like Seattle's looking for permanent fixes in some of these areas that they're struggling in. These are all things that can be fixed internally. It's not like you're looking for outside help in them. Uh, the offense has been on a, I mean, you look at these this past week, eight goals, four goals, five goals. Offense is clicking. You've got a range of different talent. Andre Burakovsky, Oliver Bjorkstrand broke his score, uh, scoreless streak. Manny Beniers, I mean, the future of this franchise. Um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. And Jamie Alexiak is back. And he, had a tough game in Anaheim, but in that game against San Jose, just having his ability to move the puck up the ice uh, and be an offensive contributor is big. I, I like seeing Kale Fleury and Gustavo Lofsson get in playing time while Alexiak was hurt. You know, getting those young guys in is great, but Alexiak brings that offensive aspect that I didn't really see with Fleury or Lofsson. So these are all positive things. It's really great to see. It's really exciting to see this team perform that the way they are. Um, but there are some things they need to fix. Uh, I know that, again, I mentioned they're second in the Western Conference. They're on a five-game winning streak, which is tied for their longest in franchise history. But there's still things that can be fixed, and you've got a long season ahead. So got to sort of continue to ride the wave, continue to stay the course, um, and keep building and building on all these positives that you're seeing. So we look over here to our team-related news on the 26th, a little prospect check-in as Shane Wright is doing well down in uh, Coachella Valley in his AHL conditional loan. He has four goals in three games with the Coachella Valley Firebirds, three of those goals coming on power plays. So the, the kid's all right. The kid's all right. Uh, it's good to see him get playing time as opposed to getting scratched a bunch being up here with the NHL team, seeing the way that he works. Uh, after the morning skates, just getting in a ton of time until basically he's collapsed on the ice, just working with coaches, working with the other scratches while keeping a great attitude about it. I know that in the buildup to the draft and some of the fans from Montreal and just basically casual NHL fans are saying he's got an attitude problem. As someone who's been in the locker room around him, seen him at morning skates, seen him practice, uh, interacting with him personally, there's no attitude problem. And I'm sure that the rest of this organization could tell you that as well. So, you know, it's, it's great to see him succeeding. It's, it's tough that he can only spend 14 days with the team on this conditional loan. Uh, but after he ends this 14 day conditional loan, he'll spend time with team USA, which means more, more ice time, which is great for him. At the end of the day, the kid is 18 years old. He'll just continue to develop. Again, I'm not worried about the guy. Uh, so we'll look ahead to the next few days next week in the Kraken schedule. They'll wrap up their road trip and then head back home. The Kraken set at a 13 win, five loss, three overtime loss record, which puts them at second in the Pacific Division, second in the Western Conference, thanks to 29 points on the year so far. Their next matchup is November 29th at the LA Kings, which is a 7.30 p.m. puck drop down in Crypto Arena. Uh, I know it is, a, excuse me, Staples Center. The Crypto Arena thing is ridiculous. Um, 
before returning home to take on a couple tough teams in the Washington Capitals and the Florida Panthers. December 1st versus the Capitals is a 7 p.m. puck drop as the team returns to Climate Pledge Arena. December 3rd at the Florida Panthers versus the Florida Panthers, my apologies, is a 7 p.m. start as well. So two teams that have a ton of talent and will give Seattle a ton of fight coming into the arena as the Kraken, you know, the look to make it a six-game win streak on the road November 29th against the LA Kings. We'll change gears here as we look at our oil rain. Nothing directly rain-related, but it's important news for the NWSL and the growth of women's soccer and the league as a whole. So some rule changes, some schedule changes here. We'll start with the schedule changes. For the first time since its inception back in 2020, the UKG NWSL Challenge Cup will now run concurrently with the NWSL regular season. Uh, it'll consist of a six-week tournament from April to September. The cup will feature three groups of four teams playing in double round-robin matches for a total of six contests. Following group play, four teams will square off in semifinal matches on Wednesday, September 6th, ahead of the Challenge Cup final on Saturday, September 9th. The 2023 NWSL Challenge Cup will also be the first ever women's professional soccer tournament to achieve pay equity with its U.S. peers in the men's game, which is, you know, this is history-making stuff. It's why we're talking about it. It's also important to this upcoming season. This is the result of a historic partnership between the NWSL and UKG, a leading provider of HR, payroll, and workforce management solutions for all people. Comprised of a balanced 22-game schedule, the 132-game regular season this upcoming year will be played over 22 weeks, eliminating midweek matches to minimize schedule congestion for player safety and optimal performance. Another big thing, we had rain games that were on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which isn't ideal after playing on, say, a Saturday or a Sunday. The schedule has been formatted to limit the number of regular season matches staged during the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup to ensure that the league's top players are able to compete for both club and country with minimal conflicts. That's a big deal for our team, as you can talk about just Team USA alone, whether it be Megan Rapino, Rose Lavelle, Alana Cook, Sofia Huerta, Angelina, Jess Fishlock, Quinn, Jordan Heitzema. There's a ton of international talent on this roster. So minimizing uh, the games that are played during the World Cup is a big deal for us. So you're going to want to pay attention to that. In total, each team will play each team will play 28 matches between the regular season and the Challenge Cup, 14 games at home and 14 on the road. The full league schedule and details for broadcast will be released on a later date. So we got to wait for that, which is unfortunate, but good to get that information. The other thing that's key for league notes is that the NWSL will implement video review next season. So VAR is finally coming to the NWSL. Uh, some say it could have helped the rain in their semifinal loss to the Kansas City Current. It's too late for that now. The NWSL will roll out. Uh, the NWSL rollout will create further opportunities for more officials to be certified as VARs and AVARs, with a new cohort currently being trained to meet the demand for more video review supported matches across both the men's and women's game in North America, per ProReferees.com. So there's going to be a bunch of workshops that those referees are going to have for VAR. It's great to see this implemented finally. It should help the women's game a ton. It's, just, it's a big deal, bottom line, to just improve the quality of this game and making sure that the right decisions are made by these officials. So some great news in our NWSL field um, as we look at our reign. So we're going to switch over here. No Seawolves news, unfortunately, following the large schedule drop that we had, but 
Bell and I wanted to take a look at the Sea Dragons roster and get some players to watch after the draft had taken place. Um, obviously, a roster cutdown is going to take place for our Sea Dragons here as training camp takes place before we get to kickoff in February of 2023. But it's an interesting roster made up of a bunch of players that have played NFL, haven't played NFL, or coming straight out of college are a few years off of college. So let's look into our offensive and defensive players to look at. Bell started off with former Cowboys quarterback Ben DiNucci, uh, one of three quarterbacks on the Sea Dragons roster. He does have some NFL experience being picked in the seventh round of the 2020 draft by Dallas. In his one start with the team, he finished with 219 passing yards, 53.5 completion percentage, and no interceptions, which is a good thing. You know, it's good to not throw any picks, but that quarterback battle between Danucci and Steven Montez is going to be an interesting one. I know Montez has some experience with Washington, uh, played in Colorado, so I know his name a little bit, having played in the Pac-12. Uh, it all starts with the quarterback. The last XFL team, the just, just the Seattle Dragons, in the last iteration of the XFL had a little bit of a quarterback controversy between Brandon Slivers and Josh, uh, BJ Daniels, pardon me. So this is... Uh, Seems like Bell has her quarterback pick. I went with running back Brendan Knox. Knox is a six-foot back out of Marshall. Uh, he had 2,852 rushing yards over three seasons. His breakout year was 2019 with 1,387 yards on the ground and 11 touchdowns to match. Uh, with the 2019 USA MVP adding to Knox's sort of uh, trophy case there, so to say. I picked Knox because, you know, you look at this – Look at Seattle as a football city, at least for me, having grown up, you know, going to a day, watching the University of Washington and being a Seahawks fan, running the ball is a key aspect in the offense here. I know that June Jones is a, you know, we got the tip, thankfully, that June Jones is one of the sort of the, the all father of the run and shoot offense. That's why there's only one tight end on the roster. But Knox, just looking at sort of the player that he is, is a downhill physical back that fits the exact mold that Seattle normally sees in running backs. So it's exciting to think about that because I'm used to sort of bruisers. You look at Marshawn Lynch, obviously. Uh, one of my favorites at UW was Miles Gaskin. Not necessarily a bruiser, but you just look at some of the history of the running backs and Brendan Knox kind of fits that Seattle style of running. And that's what I was excited to see in him. It'll be funny if he doesn't end up making the roster, but he's my sort of pick to watch Brendan Knox when it comes to the offensive side of the ball for the Sea Dragons. We switch over to defensive here. Bell went with cornerback Chris Jones. Now, Chris Jones is an interesting selection, uh, not necessarily related to the defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a six foot, 200 pound cornerback from Nebraska. As a junior uh, with Nebraska, he had three picks, 10 pass breakups, and 37 tackles, was named All Big Ten Honorable Mention. He signed with the Lions back in 2018, but failed to make their 53 man roster. Then went to Arizona and spent two years with them, has had brief stints with the Lions, the Vikings, the Titans, and the Raiders. So he's kind of bounced around the NFL, hasn't found a home. In 29 NFL games, he's had six starts, 48 total tackles, 40 solo, eight assisted, and seven pass deflections. So easy to understand why Bell would go with Jones there, having the NFL experience as a guy that hopefully that's able to transition on the field to our sea dragons here. I went with defensive end slash linebacker, Curtis Weaver. Now Weaver was in the NFL as recently as this season. He's a six, three pass rusher out of Boise state. He's the 2019 MWC defensive player of the year in his time 
with the Broncos. He tallied 47.5 tackles for loss, 34 sacks, two picks, three forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery over three years. He spent time in 2020 and 2022 with both Miami and Cleveland and did record a sack in the NFL this year. So just looking at the stats year in and year out for Weaver, a guy that consistently was flirting or at double-digit sacks for the Broncos and having spent some time in the NFL recording an actual sack in the league this year, he seems like a guy that's going to be a terror off the edge for this Sea Dragons team, something that's going to help rush the quarterback. And that's a big factor, obviously, in any team is getting pass rushers, guys that are going to be able to help those defensive backs out like a Chris Jones. Um, so Curtis Weaver, Brendan Knox are my guys to watch. Uh, ben DiNucci, Chris Jones, Bell's picks there uh, for our Sea Dragons. So we'll head into our final segment of the day with Seattle Star of the Week. I went with young Maddie Beneers just talking about it, uh, considering the tough loss that the Seahawks took um, and not necessarily any big performances from them. Beneers continuing to be the young star, the future of the franchise for the Kraken here, and one of several different young players in the city that you know, captivate offense uh, fan bases here and just, you know, really encapsulate what the youth in this city sports teams look like. And, you know, a guy that's, you know, should be leading the Calder Cup voting, probably will win Calder Cup, potentially a future captain for this team, someone that's going to be the face of the Kraken going forward. And he's already a huge offensive contributor. Hard to disagree with that sort of thing. So I, I, as, as, there's a ton of young talent in this team, and Beneers is a great example of that. You know, obviously, look at Julio Rodriguez, Jordan Heidema. Uh, there's some talent everywhere. We could sit here for a while and debate it, but that's not the point. So, yes, Maddie Beneers, my Seattle star of the week. That'll about wrap things up here for Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media, November 28th, 2022. We're about to hit December, which is pretty wild to think about. We're about to cross into 2023. Our Seahawks. You know, coming off of a back-to-back -back losses, we'll go down to LA to face the Rams. The Mariners might get involved in some things, but I would expect the offseason to continue to trudge along. The Storm still waiting to see some updates on our Storm overseas players. The Sounders losing a GM and president of soccer operations. That's a big deal. How will they be able to fill those holes? The Kraken hopefully continuing that win streak and making a new longest win streak in franchise history. They'll try to do that Tuesday against the Kings on the road before returning home. The rain remains quiet on their front as we approach the next year. The Seawolves, their schedule just dropped, and we're hoping to hear more from them. And the Sea Dragons, a roster is yet to be finalized, and that should be a lot of fun when that comes around. So until we see you next week, again, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, if you don't celebrate, hope you enjoyed the long weekend. We're approaching December, so I hope you're staying warm out there, taking care of yourselves. Until we see you in the month of December, take care of yourselves and do whatever you can to make today a great day. Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.